uh, talking about this weekend. This is uh, the Advent season, the Christmas is coming up, and want to make sure that uh, you know about some things going on in life of the church. Uh, we have a Christmas Eve service uh, that uh, uh, there's going to be one, there's going to be services at our Stevensville campus, and here Benton Heights campus uh, will join us on Christmas Eve. Uh, and uh, we've got invitations that are kind of scattered around. They were these little black cards. I encourage you to pick some up. If you have a, a, a friend, someone that maybe uh, doesn't have a church home, we encourage you to invite someone that might be kind of seeking. Christmas is a great time of year to invite someone. Uh, next week as well, it would be a great opportunity to uh, invite someone. We have a, um, a kind of a musical kind of thing our kids, our choir is going to do. It will be abbreviated uh, kind of a worship or a, a sermon kind of time next weekend. So that's a cool thing coming up. As well in the in the schedule, so I just wanted you to to know about those uh, couple things. Uh, well, we're starting today this series, extraordinary God, how an ordinary how ordinary people, uh, how God works through ordinary people in an extraordinary way, because we have an extraordinary uh, God. It was think about the Christmas story. The Christmas story is really. Uh, the story of God uh, entering the lives of ordinary people and doing some extraordinary things. There's some ordinary people in the Christmas story, some ordinary people that, that God uses in some, some wonderful, uh, cool ways that played key roles in his great, extraordinary, grand, redemptive story. Christmas is the story of God loving us so much that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, in this world so that we could have life through him. And so, the Christmas story, the coming of Jesus, is a key part in this grand redemptive narrative, this grand, what we might call the upper story. God is making this upper story, made this upper story reality through Jesus Christ, through Christmas. And so what is Christmas? Christmas is the time of year where we celebrate that Jesus Christ has, has come, that he was sent into this world in a miraculous way, born of a virgin, coming in humility. Born into an ordinary family, born in a manger, manger. Jesus comes. He comes as the Messiah, our Messiah. He comes as the Savior, the one that, that so many had been praying for and longing for. He's the reality. He's the, he's the one that comes as a response to those prayers. And so what we see in the Christmas story is God, this extraordinary God, and his engagement in our ordinary lives. As we think about ordinary people in the Christmas story, we're going to talk about people. And we, there's any number of ordinary people in the Christmas story. Ordinary people like the shepherds or like Mary or Joseph or the nameless innkeeper. I mean, we don't even know what his name was, but he was an ordinary guy that played a key role in this wonderful story. And so what we have is, in the midst of this grand, big narrative, this upper story, we have God entering the lives of just ordinary people like us. And as they open their lives to God working through them, he does some extraordinary things. The first ordinary person or couple that God does some extraordinary things through is the couple by the name of Zechariah and Elizabeth. Now, that may not be a real familiar name with you. Let me kind of, to you, let me kind of refresh your memory on who they are. They are the parents of a guy by the name of John the Baptist. John the Baptist was the cousin of Jesus, and he's the one that, when you read the story, he's the one that would prepare the way for Jesus to come. He was the one that would, would help get the people ready, that he would talk about the coming of this Messiah. And so today I want us to basically kind of read the story. I'll make some comments as we're reading the story. And then I just want to, uh, to make some application as we open up our lives, as they open up their lives 
to see what, as ordinary people, how God would use them in extraordinary ways. So let's read the story again. Luke, the first chapter, we're going to start in verse 5. And it says that in the days of Herod, king of Judah, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Now, kind of first off, notice that uh, Zechariah was a priest, and then notice that it says that, that Elizabeth was from the family of Aaron. Now, the family of Aaron, they were priests as well. Everybody that was a priest ultimately came from the family of Aaron. And so what we see is both of them were, were from these priestly families, and they had married. It kind of reminds me of uh, when I uh, got involved with Crystal's family. When I married into Crystal, my wife's family, I was the ninth pastor. Both sides of Crystal's, uh, her mom's side and her dad's side, both sides have uh, pastors uh, in the family. Her family is the one place that I can go to and I don't have to pray. I mean, when you're a pastor, you show up, and there's some meal, there's some, some reason for someone that needs to pray. I'm, of course, the professional prayer. It's the one place that there's a lot of people that know a lot more about praying than I do. And so uh, that's Crystal's family. It's, it's kind of in the DNA. It's kind of who they are on both sides of the family when you get together with them. God's just kind of the center. And that's kind of the way it was with, with Zechariah and Elizabeth. As you think about their lives and their families. It was so, I'm sure, so important to them what they did uh, and what, uh, what Zechariah did in the, the priesthood, the way that they worked together. And it was just in their family, the way that they worked to connect people with God through worship, the worship of the temple and, and all that took place around that. So just, I want you to kind of understand who they were. It was just kind of core to them. Verse 6, we'll look at in verse 6 and verse 6, we see a description of Zechariah and Elizabeth. And it says, And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. What a, what a cool description of them as a couple. If you've been around here at First Church for some time, you might uh, recognize uh, the name of the Baldwins. Uh, Cecil and Geneva, Pastor Cecil and Geneva Baldwin, uh, were this wonderful saintly couple that uh, had served the served God in ministry uh, all of their adult life, and they when they retired they came to uh, Saint Joe to live, and they became a part of our congregation. They were the first couple that uh, when we came into the church and we were first here, they were the very first people that we met. Uh, Cecil and Geneva Baldwin. They were really super short. And our boys at that time weren't real tall, and they looked, could look them right in the eye when they walked in, and it was really so welcoming. And they were, they were so kind and so godly and so humble. They were like a holy people, these holy people. They were like these people were described. Zachariah and Elizabeth were described. It's like, they were like having uh, Billy Graham and Ruth Graham in your congregation. That's kind of the way these people were, the Baldwins, who have now gone on to be with the Lord. And when we think about the story, when we think about how they're described, Zechariah and Elizabeth, they were those kind of people. It says, and here we see kind of that they were real people. It says in verse 7, but. But they had no children because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. And what that reminds us is we just 
hear this, their story and we are just reminded that they're ordinary people. Ordinary people uh, that, that have ordinary kind of issues and ordinary kind of dilemmas. Uh, there are times that, as we see in, with, in their lives, just like ours of barrenness and struggle. Jesus told us, he said, the rain will fall on the just and on the unjust. And so like them, we have times of struggle. Some of you have experienced the same exact struggle that they have with barrenness. Not being able to have children, but if it's not that, it's something else. Because we've all, all of us can identify on some level with them. As we're ordinary people, like they're ordinary people. That they, they yeah, they were serving God, but they had these ordinary struggles and dilemmas. In their culture, though, when you think about what was really going on with them. In their culture, for, for Elizabeth, as it said, she, she was barren. That was a big deal. It was a huge deal. Being barren in their culture was looked at a lot of times as a type of punishment for sin. Obviously, you must have done something. There's some reason that uh, you're barren. There's some reason that you can't have children. And if it wasn't some overt, direct, you committed some egregious sin, then it must have been that God has just forgotten you. That you're not that important to God. And that's what that's what she was dealing with. That's what they were dealing with. As they tried to serve faithfully. As the scripture describes that they lived righteously. And we just need to get this. That they served blamelessly, righteously. They were, they were a good couple. But yet, in the midst of being faithful, there was a barrenness. There was a struggle that they had in their life. But they continued to serve God in the midst of that struggle. And it says in verse 8, as we go on in the story, it says, Now while they were serving as priests before God, while he was serving as priests before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. Now for Zechariah, in that moment when he's chosen to get to go into the temple, that was the key moment in the life of a priest. It was the, the high moment that he is chosen to be the one. In, in his day, there have been some eighteen to 20,000 priests divided into groups of about uh, into 24 different groups. And so these 24 different groups, they, they divided up the service to the temple. And so they would take care of stuff around the temple. But the real cool job, the job that everybody wanted, was the job where they where they got to go inside the temple. And everybody didn't get to go inside the temple. And so it was the job when the one priest got to go inside the temple, into the holy place in the temple, and got to light or burn the incense in front of the altar. It was, it was such an important role. And for Zechariah, after years and years and years, this was his chance. It was this high honor, and it fell, as Scripture says, by lots. In other words, by chance. That was a, kind of the roll of the dice. The person who picks the, the straw, the one straw. And I can't over, uh, overemphasize the point of how key, how vital, how important, how special it was for Zechariah to have the privilege of serving in the temple. We go on, it says in verse 10, and the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. You see, they're outside, he gets to go inside. And they were they appeared, and there appeared to him, 
just him and him in the temple by himself. But there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and, he, and fear fell upon him. So here he is serving, here he is lighting incense, here he is having this, this special, wonderful moment, this high moment in the life of a priest, and he, he goes in and he's doing his job, and then all of a sudden, Gabriel, and we'll know, we'll know later on he's, he's actually identified as Gabriel, Gabriel, we've all heard of Gabriel, Gabriel, the key angel, was sent by God, he's sent as a messenger, and listen to what he says, and this is huge, verse 13, the angel says to him, don't be afraid, Zechariah. For your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you, you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and you will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the people. So here they were, Zechariah and, and, and Elizabeth, and, and for years they, 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 they've served faithfully, and they've lived blamelessly and right before God, and, and, and they've, they've struggled with this this barrenness, hoping it's for some, for some, at some point for a child. And they've struggled and they've prayed. But as scripture will tell us later, it says that Elizabeth was barren. And here this angel appears in this miraculous way. And he, and he tells them that you're going to have a son. And, and we all like our kids pretty well and think that they're great. But the angel, Gabriel says, but your son is going to be special. Your son is going to be awesome. He's going to be great before the Lord. In your old age, you're going to have a son. A son with a vital purpose in this world. Can you imagine the, the emotion that was running through Zechariah? Again, he'd longed for, he'd served faithfully all these years. He'd hoped and he'd prayed. And now, in his old age, this angel is saying to him, here's what's going to happen. Can you imagine the excitement? Can you imagine how, how, how Elizabeth would feel when she finally gets the news that they're going to have a child? The angel goes on in verse uh, Verse 15, into that, to kind of tell him about what was going to happen with their child. He said he must not drink, talking about the, the child, he must not drink wine or strong drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And listen, as, it, as the angel, as Gabriel describes his purpose, and he will go before him, talking about Jesus. In the spirit and power of Elijah. Everybody, all the Jews knew about Elijah. Elijah was this figure that, that they all looked up to. And he will be like Elijah. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. And then listen to this line. Here will be his purpose. To make ready for the Lord Jesus a people prepared. They weren't just having a son. They were going to have a son that would be involved in the mission, in the, in the coming of the Messiah. He's going to be the one that's going to make a way for the Lord to come, make a way for Jesus to come. He's going to be the one that's going to prepare and get people's hearts ready. This was earth-shattering news for Zechariah. After years of waiting and, and hoping for a son and being well past the age of having kids, it, was, it, just, it just blew his mind more than he could imagine, in fact. And so we see this, this good, holy, righteous, blameless, as he's described in Scripture, guy. But in the moment, what we see in this story is that he was also ordinary. 
He's just a regular guy. He wasn't superhuman. He wasn't perfect. He was, he was good. He was, he, was, he was a really good guy, but he wasn't a perfect guy. Because look at his reply. Look at his ordinary reply. We're, we're reminded that he's human like the rest of us, ordinary like the rest of us. In verse 18, and it says, and, and Zacharias said to the angel, how shall I know this? I mean, how is this going to, how in the ham sandwich is this going to happen? You know how old I am? For I'm an old man, he says, and my wife is advanced in years. Again, just this ordinary guy being real. I, I don't see it. I, I mean, how could this be? He says, I'm old. But notice that in the midst of all of the all this all this this information, it's like blowing his mind. Notice that he does, he is able to keep his wits about him because notice what he says. I'm old. And then notice what he says. He doesn't say his wife's old. He says, and she is advanced in years. I mean, even though it's just Gabriel and, and, and Zachariah and the temple, it would get back to his wife that he called her old, okay? I mean, what if you know, Gabriel goes and talks to her next? And, and hey, by the way, you know what your, your, your husband ta- said about you? That you're old. He had enough sense to, uh, to identify her as advanced in years. But he struggled like we all struggle at times. In his humanness. As this ordinary guy. And he says, I don't, I don't understand how this could be. I don't get it. I don't, I don't know that I can believe at my age and my wife's age that this could happen. In verse 19, the angel Gabriel, he answers. It says, and the angel answered him. And I just want you to kind of get the moment. Here he is in the temple, the one temple in, in all of Israel, here in Jerusalem. And, and he's come, he's in this special place, this place where God's presence resided. And he shows up in this place, this Gabriel does, when, when Zechariah is at this, this key moment in his life. And he, and he says, as in the response to, Zach, to Gabriel's message that, that you're going to have a child, he says, I don't know if I can believe that. I don't know. I don't, really, I don't really believe you. And the angel Gabriel answers. And imagine Gabriel, the, the, the leader of the host of God's army. Imagine him putting his hand on his, his sword, the angel, and, and kind of standing up really straight now, puffing his chest out. And he says, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. We need to kind of think about what was really going on in this moment. As Zechariah doubts, and basically Gabriel says, all right, you get a timeout. Okay, go to the corner, stick your nose in the corner. You're going to have to stay there a while. You can't talk until the baby, until the child is born. God disciplines those he loves. He doubted and he got disciplined. He said, you're not going to talk because God wanted to teach him something. You, you need to recognize that I'm God. I'm sovereign. I sent 
Gabriel, and, and, and you need to get that I was sent. I stand in the presence of the living God, and he told me to tell you that you're going to have a child, and you better believe him. Next time you hear from him, you need to trust. God was teaching him something, teaching this ordinary guy, a good guy, but an ordinary guy. It was in verse 21, and it says, and the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at the delay in the temple. It was taking longer than, he, than it should have, and when he came out, he was unable to speak, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple, and he kept making signs to them and remained mute, and when his time of service was ended, he went home. He went to his home. Can you imagine going home? I mean, he's, he's inside, it's taking longer, he finally comes out and he's trying to uh, let the people, hey, obviously something has happened, he's seen a vision, he can't talk, and so he's trying to communicate what's happened, and then he finally, there, he didn't have a chance to text her, there was no, none of that back then, and so he has to show up, I mean, there's no phones or whatever, and so he, he finally gets released from his duties uh, that, he's, that he's had as a priest, and he goes home. And without a voice explains, and this, I don't know if you kind of catch this, but this is where charades was born, uh, right here in scripture. I don't know if you kind of got, that's where it came from, uh, or maybe not, I don't know. But anyway, it, but he, this game of charades, here's what happened, and he can't talk, but he has to communicate what the angel has said to him. And it says that after these days, in verse 24, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me. To take away my reproach among the people. It's a story of ordinary people with ordinary struggles. And in the midst of these ordinary people with ordinary struggles, having ordinary responses to their extraordinary God who works through them to unleash this chapter of Christmas in this grand redemptive drama. And so, what's the application? Real quick, in the time we have left. Just a few things. What can we learn as we think about the lives of Zechariah and Elizabeth? These ordinary people, ordinary, not, not too much different than us. What can we learn from them? How can they help us as we think about ourselves as ordinary people, but wanting to open ourselves up to this extraordinary God? How can we, how can we, can we hope that God would do some, some things like God did in their lives and ours? Well, look back. At verse 6 and 7, I want you to just see one more time how they were described. How Zechariah and Elizabeth were described. And it says they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they were both, but they had no, no child because Elizabeth, Elizabeth was barren. So they were both righteous, Scripture says. And then Scripture defines then what righteous is, and it says that they walked blameless. It says that they kept the commandments. And when he says the commandments, it was really talking about the moral law. And you see it kind of differentiates between they kept the commandments and they kept the statutes. And the commandments would have been the moral law. It would have been the, the Ten Commandments, the, the, the things you uh, do and don't do. It's the loving God with all your heart, soul, mind. It's loving your neighbors, yourself. Those, kind of, those kind, of, kind of ideas of keeping the commandments. They had done that to the best of their ability. They, again, they weren't perfect, but if anybody was looking at them, they saw in them this holy, blameless, righteous kind of people, and it says then that they kept the statutes of the law. That would have been basically the ceremonial law. It would have been the kind of the Jewish law. They were good, uh, they were good keepers of the Jewish law, the keeping the Sabbath and uh, eating the, the, the food laws. They had kept those laws faithfully, and I love the word that says that they both were this way, that they were equally committed as a couple, 
to live like this. To live out their faith in their God. In the midst of this culture that put untold pressure on them because they couldn't have any children, asking all the dumb questions that people, even in our culture today, ask us, they got all those. But they continued to be faithful. In the midst of being barren and childless, they continued to be faithful. And even though their personal dreams and their prayers had gone unfulfilled and unanswered for all those years, as they now are up advanced in years, well past childbearing years, but notice what they continued to do to walk blamelessly, righteously before their God. They remained faithful. And so our ordinary expectation, as we think about wanting God to be engaged in our ordinary lives, we, like them, need to stay the course. And they stayed the course. They continue to walk faithfully. They continue to follow their God. If you skip down to verse 13, notice again what the angel says to them. Do not be afraid, the angel says, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard and your wife will bear a son. What's that tell us? It tells us that these ordinary people had never given up. They had continued to, to pray and, and seek God. And, and I want you, I, this is a cool thought for me uh, this week when I was looking and studying the scripture to think that, you know what, it wasn't just, I don't think, uh, as you kind of read between the lines of the story, yeah, they, I'm sure, had been praying about having a child and being barren and, and they continued to pray that prayer, but I think there was something else that they were praying that was answered in the birth of their son, John, this miraculous baby. He was a part Again, of this grand redemptive drama that was unfolding. And so part, I think, of the prayer that was being answered, that the angel saying your prayer has been answered, was this prayer for the people. Was this grand prayer that they had been praying that, that God would bring a Messiah, that God would bring a Redeemer, that God would bring a Savior. And so not only was it this personal prayer that was answered, but this grand corporate prayer. We can learn something from them. We need to not pray just small prayers for ourselves, but to pray some grand prayers for our world. That God would intervene and that God would work. And what we see in them was that they continued to stay the course. They continued to pray. They continued to trust. They continued to walk blamelessly as they lived out their faith, even in the midst of their barrenness. And God not answering their prayers like they thought that he should. There's another aspect of their ordinary lives. Remember when Zechariah doubted and he kind of got disciplined, kind of got that time out? Look at verse, verse 18 uh, again. When he asked the question, how shall I know this? For I'm an old man and my wife is advanced in years. How is this going to happen? I don't understand how this is going to happen. And it's, as we had alluded to earlier, he wasn't superhuman in his faith. He was an ordinary guy and we see it in this moment. Then in the midst of being faithful, that there is still with Zechariah this hint of doubt. This hint of his humanness. How's it going to happen? I, I want to trust you, God, but I don't, I don't get it. I don't see it. I don't understand it. I'm old. I don't know that this could happen. I don't understand, God. I've never seen it happen anywhere else. Maybe I've read about it in, in some other stories in the Old Testament and in, in, with Abraham, but, but how? I've, I've never seen it. I don't know that it could happen, but notice his response, his ordinary response, which should be our ordinary response, our ordinary expectation like his 
He chooses to entertain, though, the impossible. Yes, absolutely, he doubted. But he was still willing to entertain the, the possibility of the impossible. As you think about the story, you need to understand that this is not an immaculate conception. This is not Jesus' birth. This is not the conception of Jesus where he was born of a virgin. This was a run-of-the-mill kind of pregnancy that happens in the run-of-the-mill pregnancy kind of way. And in the temple, she wasn't pregnant. But yet the angel said that, that you're going to give birth to a son. They both were going, in other words, they both, both Elizabeth and Zechariah, were going to have to entertain the possibility of the impossible at their age to conceive the child. Luke 1, chapter 1, verse 24 says, And after these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. I want you to just let that sink in. That they were willing, even though they were faithful, and even though they, they loved God, and even though they were walked blamelessly, and even though they were, they were faithful to him, they still had times of doubt. They were ordinary people. They were regular people like us. And we sometimes have those kind of doubts. But in the midst of those doubts, they still were willing to entertain the possibility of the impossible. Are we willing? Even when we don't see God answering the prayers like we would hope that he would answer our prayers. We need to continue to dream for the impossible. Not only do we need to think about what our ordinary response needs to be, but we need to think about God, our extraordinary God and his response. And if we look back, as you remember when he talks about, uh, where it talks about in verse 8 and 9, where it talks about uh, where he was chosen to be uh, the, the priest that was going to go into the temple, that was going to get to burn the incense, and how I told you that that was a once-in-a-lifetime kind of experience. Notice it says how, it tells us how they were chosen. They were chosen by lots. I don't know how they did it. Maybe they rolled the dice. Maybe they drew a straw, and the one had the short straw got to go. I don't know how they did it. Uh, but does anybody really think that on this particular occasion that that was done by chance? Does anybody think that, that God is on the, on the edge of heaven hoping that the dice roll goes well? Hoping that, it's, that Zechariah draws a short straw just wringing his hands? Hoping that maybe, just maybe, that something impossible could happen? It reminds me, as I was thinking about it, of the Lions-Packer game this week. If you were Thursday night, I don't know if you saw it on the news, if you heard about it. In the last quarter the fourth quarter when the Packers were losing and the time was about to run out and the ball goes back to Aaron Rodgers and then that that Lions fan uh, that Lions that player commits that egregious face mask call where I mean just so clear just rips his face mask around you probably saw that didn't you uh, and and then they got it was time was out there's just one more play left in the game there's only one more opportunity. Time has run out. This is the last play of the game, and they're down. And they need to march the ball some 65, 70 yards downfield to get uh, to a touchdown to win the game. And there Aaron Rodgers, and there I was, standing in front of the television, hoping beyond hoping, dreaming, visioning for a miracle. That was not God on this day. He knew what was going to happen. And what that reminds us of is God's extraordinary response is that he shapes outcomes he shapes outcomes in our world 
Our extraordinary God is, is, is involved, is engaged in this world. And Zechariah, through his obedience, through, the, through walking blamelessly with his God, he had put himself in a position that God, uh, of blessing, of that sweet spot of, of living in a place where God could bless him and wanted to bless him. And, and God pours his blessing out on him as he gives him this child, as he gives him the opportunity to serve in the temple. And he knew that he was going to send Gabriel, and he knew how it was going to unfold. He was shaping, reshaping their families. There's family for his glory. That's what God did as he blessed them. Zachariah and Elizabeth had walked blamelessly before God, setting themselves up for God to bless them. And then one final thing real quick as we go back one more time to the story. Look at verse 13. He says, the angel says to them, don't be afraid for your prayers have been heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear a son. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. They had lived faithfully, and, 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 but in the midst of barrenness for decades and decades, into their old age. And now we see uh, Elizabeth, if you look later at the end of, the, end of, the, end of this, this passage, in verse 25, you see her talking about, God, you've taken away my reproach. All those people that, that talked behind my back, that laughed about us, that, that, that said all those nasty things, all those times that I thought that, that you didn't love me, that you didn't care, that, that you had abandoned me, but I continue to just be faithful and continue to strive after you and continue to worship you i just continued and now you have taken away my reproach and what it reminds us of today is that we as ordinary people like her like them have our own seasons of barrenness and for you as you try to apply this to your to your own story in your own life what is it maybe it's a maybe it's a season of barrenness in your in your career, or in your marriage, or in some other relationship, or, or in your spiritual life, or, or I don't know where, what is that barrenness, and you need to apply it in your own life, and where is that barrenness, but what this reminds us of, that God, in his extraordinary response to us, is that he is the bringer of life to barren places. That's the way that God works. I don't know if you've ever seen God's, God's, uh, God's card, like I have my card here in the front of my Bible, it says David Culp, lead pastor, that's my card. God's card, right underneath his name, God, is the bringer of life into barren places. It's kind of what he does. That's his job description. When, when this world was, was broken by sin and as the result of sin in the garden and this world is, is messed up and separated from him, he, as the, as the bringer of life into barren places, sent Jesus Christ. It's the story of Christmas. It's Christ coming. And, and in their lives, and that was the big drama, this big unfolding drama, this, this, this grand meta-narrative, the big story, but then we have the individual story of the individual couple of Zechariah and Elizabeth and into their barrenness. He is the bringer of life. And friends, he can bring life in the same way into your barrenness. But the key is, we need to continue to walk faithfully because we need to live a but if not, but even if he doesn't, I'm going to continue to serve like they had. We need to stay the course. Even when life doesn't turn out like we want it. And Zachariah and Elizabeth were ordinary people that God blesses with a child in this grand upper redemptive story. A child that would grow up and prepare the way for Jesus to come. 
to be born on Christmas, and then John would prepare the way for him to be realized and recognized as the Savior, the Messiah. And we learn from them that we have to continue to to stay the course in the midst of our barren seasons of life. We learn from them that in the midst of our own barrenness that we need to entertain the impossible of what could be. And we need to learn from our God as he interacts with them in this story and be reminded that our God is sovereign, that he loves us, and he shapes the outcomes of our lives. And one of his specialties is when he brings life into our barren places. As our worship team comes up, and today we have the privilege of uh, celebrating with a couple of people who are going to be baptized a little later, uh, right after this song. And so those people that are going to be baptized, they can go ahead and start uh, getting ready. And as they start to get ready to be baptized, let me pray for us. God, God, we recognize uh, you in this moment, you in this story, and we see your fingerprints all over it. And God, sometimes when we read scripture, we think of people in the Bible as these superhuman people that never messed up, that had, had sometimes we kind of look at them as, as these people of faith that we can never be like that. And, and yeah, they were great people of faith, but we see as we really look at it, though, we see that they were real, that they were ordinary. And God, it gives us hope to know that we're ordinary, but, but that God, that, that we, like them, we can continue in the midst of times of barrenness. We, continue to, we can continue to choose to trust you, to continue to believe that, that you can do the miraculous in our lives. God, as we celebrate these people that are going to be baptized, as we celebrate the fact that as they go into the water, it's a symbol of, of how the, that old life is gone. As they come up out of the water, they're raised to new life in Christ. God, we celebrate the fact that you are a God that brings life into barrenness. And God, help us to remember that today. And help us to be encouraged by that today as we consider the story of Christmas and the story of Jesus and the story of these two ordinary people that you did something extraordinary through. Help us, God, to apply that to our own lives and to trust you and to walk blamelessly before you. We pray in Jesus' name. with us and sing. Make beautiful things out 
seat and we're going to celebrate baptism God making beautiful things yeah, perfect time absolute, total, radical relationship with Jesus Christ. And baptism is a wonderful way to illustrate that. Uh, baptism is a way as we, it's just a symbolic way as we 
is we take someone under the water, it just symbolizes that, that old life that goes under the water and the sins and all the stuff of the old life. And as we come up out of the water, that symbol, symbol, symbolism of being raised to newness in life, as scripture says. And so that's what we celebrate uh, today as these uh, individuals get baptized. Uh, and so I wanted to, let me introduce you, I've had a great chance to, uh, to, to talk this week to both Rick and Cindy uh, and just had some great conversations. And uh, Rick, why don't you come on in? first and uh, let me just share some of what Rick uh, kind of shared with me uh, this week he he wrote this uh, to me uh, in an email and I just want to share some of his own words about his faith in Christ uh, Rick writes this I'm dedicating my life to my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ I've not been putting Christ first in my life and need to rededicate my life to Christ I'm all in and accept any and all of God's needs for me as a Christian to do his will and to strive to plant a seed in healthy, in healthy soil, in fertile soil. So I've chosen uh, this church to call my home, my family, and my place of worship. And so, uh, Rick, uh, we celebrate what God's uh, been doing in your life, and it was, it's, it was great to get to know you, and uh, we're glad that you're here. We want to see what God continues to do through your life, and we celebrate this key step of obedience in your life. And so as a response to uh, what God's been saying to you, to get baptized, to follow him in baptism, now, as, as a decision of your profession of Jesus Christ as your Savior, and you're professing him today in front of God and all these people as your Savior, yes? Yes. Okay, that's a good, that's a good response. Good. <laughs> I almost forgot to ask you. I'm sorry. Uh, but as, your, as a response to uh, your affirmation of your faith, I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So, and this is Cindy. I want to introduce you to Cindy. Come on in. And, uh, and again, I had a great opportunity to, uh, to talk to Cindy uh, this week as well. Um, and as long as the words don't bleed off my paper as they get wet, uh, I want to read uh, some words that uh, Cindy wrote uh, for us today. She was just kind of expressing what God's been up to in her life. Let me just kind of read her words, which are really good. She says, I'm choosing to be baptized to declare to the church and world that I've chosen to put to death my sins and would like to come to life wholly and completely in Christ for the rest of my days. And when big capital letters, which means like you're screaming in email, and that's awesome. <laughs> and then she writes, and I love this, uh, she says this, I'm starting a new chapter in my life belonging to Jesus, surrendering, surrendering my heart and life to Christ in a way I will have never experienced before. Christ is the love and the light of my life. And then she puts this passage, which is a cool, I didn't ask you to put a passage in, that's cool. Um, Acts 2.38 says this, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Christ Jesus, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so today, Cindy, is it your profession of faith before God and all these people that you want to serve Christ all the rest of your days? Cindy, because of your profession of faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's stand together.
Let's celebrate with one final song. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her King. Let every heart prepare Him room. And heaven and nature sing. And heaven and nature sing. And heaven and heaven and peace. May we be the hands and feet of Christ and show some Christmas love this season. Have a great week. Day.